Hey y'all, welcome to Midnight Theology, the podcast of four pastor friends who talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. I'm your host, Sarah Wank, and as always, I'm joined by Gabe Wank. Hi. The esteemed Dr. Larry Frank. Well, hello. And Adam Penn. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah, I like <laughs> And Adam Penn. <laughs> we went from esteem to none whatsoever. <laughs> and then Adam Penn. <laughs> well, this month we're flashing back and reflecting on this year's New Room Conference and everything it meant for us, all the thoughts and feelings and vibes. So sit back, relax, and raid your kids' Halloween candy. It's time for Midnight Theology. Well, boys, uh, before we get into all things spiritual, uh, how was your Halloween? Uh, did you dress up? How were your kids? Uh, maybe this is a spiritual question after all. Do you guys celebrate Halloween? We we do celebrate Halloween. Maybe that makes us heathens. Us too. We're, we're heathens. pagans like that. Like, <laughs> and friends don't let friends dress as Bible characters. So uh, Yes, that's true. <laughs> Did I did I say this slash, on a previous slash. episode that one time my mom made a costume for me and I was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And <laughs> I don't think you've said that on, on the podcast, but I've heard it before and it's awesome. And I, wow. I had to hold out my arms and, and she hung fake apples from my arms. That's I incredible. Didn't, I didn't win the contest either. <laughs> it's like the it's like the kid in the Christmas story. It's like I can't put my arms down. <laughs> yes, yes, I could not put my arms down, and I didn't win. It was it was a sad Halloween. So I've always hated dressing up, and me too. <laughs> like I I just I never wear costumes. I never really wore costumes as a kid either. Um, kind of a humbug about Halloween. Uh, however, it is our youngest favorite holiday of the year for yeah. whatever reason. Um, and he decided that he wanted to be Godzilla, uh, which meant that naturally our oldest decided he wanted to be King Kong. And <laughs> Jessica decided she wanted to be the Empire State Building. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> I love it. And like you, sibling rivalry were, lives on in your Halloween costumes. And, and, and what were you? An innocent passerby? Uh, yeah. I was an uh, overweight aging dad. That, that was what I went as. So. He, was, he was extra, I, extra I number 75. <laughs> I was the same thing, Adam. That's really, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I suppose innocent bystander works too. <laughs> so we had our first Florida Halloween. Oh, uh, yeah. And that was all sorts of cool. Like m- my sister FaceTimed. Um, or I FaceTimed her, I don't remember, like, as they were getting ready to go trick-or-treating in St. Louis, and, like, they were putting on, like, hats and gloves, and people, you know, back in Illinois were posting that it was snowing in different places uh, on Halloween, and we were, like, walking a neighborhood, and I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Um, that was a whole different experience. Uh, Marky was Wednesday, um, and we saw about a million Wednesday Adams uh, walking around. She was but a good Sa- one, though. And Sayla was Elvis. Uh, and we o- <laughs> it was we the only best saw, thing I've ever seen. <laughs> we only saw two other Elvises, but she was the best. So every time she got candy from someone, instead of saying thank you, we told her to say, you know, like, thank you, thank you very much. She would dance for them. <laughs> and like all of the old, all of the older people loved it. And the younger people kind of looked at her funny, and Brittany finally said, I think the older people actually remember Elvis. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was, it was really nostalgic for them. 
All right, Gabe, you want to cover ours? Oh, well, Hudson was uh, one scary-looking stormtrooper. He was serious. He had the walk, and uh, he had the shoulders back. He was ready to go. And when Darth Vader came in uh, with a lightsaber, they went to the middle of the gym floor, and they faced off. It was awesome. So we did an in-house, in-the-church trunk or treat. It was cold up here in the Quad Cities, and we decided to just pull it inside to uh, our gym and uh, made, I don't know, 18, 20 stations, and people would come in and walk around, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, We made a campsite out of it, so I was a camper. I had my little bow and arrow there, a little campfire with a bucket on top with candy in it. It was a lot of fun just to interact. One of Gabe's um, unknown gifts is being able to make a costume with no components of a costume, uh, if that makes any sense at all. Because it's like he's like wearing normal clothes, but like he set up a campsite. So it's like so it's get into character. It like had a it had a theme, but without having to have a costume so he just straw hat essentially he need. pulled a bunch of, of, of crap from our garage and set up set up a scene for no, trunk I, or treat because flannel shirt i think if you good s- to go. would say that about anybody else it wouldn't make sense but to say that gabe could pull that off without actually having a costume it makes total sense it's like yeah you just it's, it's just it's, it's gabe. a gabe only it's a gabe only trick yeah. yes yeah <laughs> oh, yeah he's talented that way uh, all right, so if I was you're pull the guitar out just for for fun, but uh, we had good music. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, we ha- we had some. We were one of those that we had to move trunk or treat inside because of the uh, cold weather. It was freezing, but uh, still a good night. So, uh, all right, so uh, before we move on, what candy are you rating from your kids' <clears throat> Halloween bucket? Taking as a parent <clears throat> tax, what's your thing? Always the Reese cups or the peanut butter chocolate. Hershey goodness, whatever that is. Uh, I, I dad taxed Butterfinger this year. Ooh. Okay, that is also my favorite to dad tax, but that is the most rare Halloween candy, I feel like. The boys that hardly got yeah, any Butterfinger. Yeah, that's a hard find. Yeah. My normal dad tax is Heath Bar, and they got no yeah. Heath Bars this year, but th- there was there was plunchous amounts of uh, <laughs> Butterfinger in Florida. Man, so. I'm jealous. Huh. That's nice. That, that was, it feels like, Butterfinger feels like very 1992, you know? Yeah, it's it takes good. me it's back. Funny. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like Bart Simpson eating them. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, I've, I flounder between uh, Twix and Kit Kat. Those are my two favorite, Twix and Kit Kat. I like something crunchy. And he got, I think, one Twix and one Kit Kat. So um, it was it was not a plenteous year for my parent tax, but that's all right. I feel we'll be like fine. There, were a lot, there were a lot of Kit Kats for our girls, too. So. Mm. It's a good one. No, Anything I don't remember, crunchy, I, I didn't see any crunchy Twix. stuff. Twix is good. It's got to have a little crunch in it. That's my that's my thing. So I also like Twix. Twix I like a, Skittles a lot too. As yeah. A tax, and there was there was like one bag of Skittles. Oh, that's so sad. It yeah, because you have your favorite. There's the favorite chocolate candy, and then there's like the favorite fruit candy, right? Skittles mm-hmm. is my my fruity candy, but. Well, um, it seems like a lifetime, (laughs) it feels like a lifetime ago already, but just a few weeks ago in the middle of September, uh, we as Midnight Theology got to meet up from Illinois and Florida, by the way, of Texas. And aside from getting to hang out in person together, which was by far the best part of being together at New Room, Mm -hmm. uh, it was a pretty great year of the New Room Conference. Um, As I was thinking first about 
talking about what New Room was for us this year, I first realized maybe we should talk about what New Room is exactly, um, especially since y'all listening should go. So Adam, you're our resident historian, <laughs> like it or not. So uh, do you feel like briefing our Midnight Theology family on what New Room is or what you know of how it came to be? Sure. Um, so let's talk about the actual New Room in Bristol, in England. Oh, it's so cool. Uh, just so that we know where the name comes from. Uh, Gabe and Sarah and I ha- went there in, what was it, guys, 2018? That we 18, went to England? I think, 2018, yeah. I think. Five years ago. Yeah, yep. crazy. Um, but incredible. Uh, incredible trip. We went on a Wesley pilgrimage uh, across the English countryside. Uh, and one of our stops was in Bristol uh, to the new room, which was the first, the world's first Methodist building, where Wesley actually built the building um, in response to some field preaching that he went to go do there, uh, decided to establish a society, and it became the meeting place for the Methodists in Bristol. And it is a very austere building. Um, it's got this really pretty octagonal skylight uh, with uh, uh, windows uh, above the everyone's heads kind of in, in the space there and an elevated pulpit and, and things like that. Um, so really pretty place. Uh, you fun can, fact, right, uh, that the pulpit was built up in a particular way so that nobody else could access it. <laughs> uh, because they anticipated people would like come in and raid the church essentially and try yeah. to rip the pastor out of the pulpit. So what, there's only like, one secret has, way into the pulpit. Who has <laughs> that thought in their mind when they drop the blueprints for a church? For Just a church, in case right? The pastor people, gets attacked yeah. by terrorists. People who are under attack. Also, people who are literally under attack. Wesley's journal re- records countless episodes yeah. where they were like trying to physically harm him even the windows of the building adam right the windows are high yeah, yeah there so are none can't look in there well, are none yeah, on the first the, like the main level yes so the only two windows are the window behind the elevated pulpit which is kind of on the second level and then that octagonal window in the roof but i've also heard that that was to avoid some sort of window tax as well i don't know uh, oh. if that's true <laughs> but that could also have been part of it uh so yeah, it's kind of interesting, um, but a really cool place. And and of course, since Wesley intended the uh, Methodist movement to be a renewal movement within the Church of England, its meeting times intentionally did not conflict with the daily prayer times of the Anglican Church. And so mm-hmm. it was meant to complement uh, the, the Anglican Church, not compete with it. So that's a little history and, on And the, wasn't considered a church, right? That's like why that's right. you said it was like the first Methodist society, but so some have said it was like a, yeah, the it was first a Methodist meeting, meeting house, house. Yes, a meeting house a for the first yeah. Methodist society, not a church. That's what, right. Wesley Wesley evolved in his thinking on that, though. Like, yeah. That, that ended up being a big part of my dissertation. Like, he ended up later saying that the, the Methodist societies and the classes represented the true visible church. With, like, yeah. So he came to see them as church. Even as he didn't want to supplant the Sunday morning and in, in daily prayer activities of the local parish, um, so yes, church, um, yeah, but just you know, not in the um, uh, programmatic way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, and I did just confirm the dates: uh, built in 1739, double in size in 1748, and also used some timber from an old ship. So that's kind of cool too. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, and pillar instruction. So there you go. <laughs> if you and so the Methodist worshiping house in Bristol, England, called the New Room, is where New Room gets its name and a symbol through the uh, magnificent window behind the pulpit. Uh, and New Room was created what in twenty fifteen? No, this was the t- twenty. This was thirteen. Yep, yeah, this was the tenth year. Uh, tenth yeah. conference, I believe. The first one was in twenty fourteen. Well, and, and I'm I'm cautious to say it's a conference because in my yeah, first, sure. I didn't go to one, two, I was in three or four, my first one that I attended, and they were pretty clear to us, this is not a conference. Yeah. This is different. This is a movement. This is a, this is a, something moving within the spirit, um, kind of like the beginning of Methodism. Mm-hmm. I, I still kind of like the word conference. I think it, it, it pulls back what conferencing is supposed to be in the Wesleyan spirit, not just like we're getting together for the assimilation of knowledge or the how-to, but we're engaged in holy conferencing. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, appreciate, it, I, I appreciate that they've kept the title The New Room Conference, even though it's not like any conference you've ever been to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's trying to sort of redefine what conferencing is, right? We we take it as these uh, very business-like, um, you go to a few seminars to learn a few tricks of the trade, to go home and apply to your ministry, especially if it's a ministry conference. But uh, yeah, this came out of um, a desire, much like early Methodism, for renewal and awakening in the life of the church, right? To um, to draw people into the ministry of the Holy Spirit and to pursue personal holiness, uh, to pursue banding together in the ways of early Methodism, uh, real community in that way, and uh, uh, to stir up a, a movement for Wesleyan holiness. And it it takes the form of an actual two-day, right, business conference, you know, it has to come in some sort of form of how are we going to, you know, worship together. Assemble. um, Yeah, how are we going to assemble? Uh, But it's so much more than that. And uh, not just for pastors, so it's definitely pastors and worship leaders, but also for lay people in the life of the church across the bigger Wesleyan Methodist movement. So there are a lot of Methodists there, but there are also folks who are part of our bigger Methodist family too. So um, it's it's been a meaningful experience, I know, for Gabe and I. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I was trying to do the math on how many we've attended, and my memory isn't that good. But uh, do you guys know for each of you how many new rooms you've attended? I've only missed one. Yeah. Oh, Since wow. it started? Wow. And I, uh, yeah, and that was last. I was at the very first one. That's impressive. Um, so I, yeah. I, I I missed last year just because that was you know uh, we had just had Evie and just yeah. uh, I was just coming off of paternity leave. Um, so I, that was the only one I've missed. So it was good to be back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to say I started in 2016 and have only missed one. Uh, so I don't know how many that is for me. So. I can't. I can't yeah, math. I probably today. For us, I think do, do head math. Head yeah. math. <laughs> yeah, we we started in seventeen, and COVID made a weird. Uh, it's made everything weird. So we did an online mm-hmm. there for a year or two. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think we've missed in seventeen. No, I think I think once we started, we missed a couple at the top, and then I think once we've started, we've been back every year. It's it's been a spiritual home for us, I think, in a lot of ways, and we won't go down the rabbit holes of. Um, some of the experiences that Gabe and I have had there, other than to say it's a place 
that we've been ministered to. Not a lot of places where pastors can come and like receive prayer, right? Mm-hmm. And spend time in ministry at the altar or uh, or experiment with um, enjoying the, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, let alone the connection that you experience when you um, see people and spend time with people who are in your tribe, right? In, in your church family. So it's always really... Um, just like a shot in the arm uh, with Holy Spirit stuff and personal awakening, but also then just seeing people you love and getting time with them. Uh, not to mention the incredible uh, speakers, but um, well, healing, uh, yeah. healing, repentance, um, and you know, tr- truly bathed in prayer. Three six five as they prepare for each one and kind of getting back to the roots of our Methodist heritage. Uh, I've, I've liked seeing the um, evolution of the incorporation of younger generations. Even we have done that uh, to where we have taken our son Hudson, who was 11 his, at, at his first uh, New Room conference and now 12, and he listens. He draws. He keeps himself entertained as we sit and worship and and hear some teaching. Uh, But then he is drawn to the altar, and and he's weeping, and he's experiencing a holy God in his uh, own life, even as a young child coming into... the next phase of his life and development, and you know, high school, college students as well, um, a large part of it. So it's just fascinating to see. It used to be, you know, maybe seminary grads, re- retired pastors, people that can get away, um, that sort of thing. And there's just been a, it's, it's growing uh, across the board, all generations. Um, yeah, they're they're intentionally, uh, you know, growing young, which you don't which you don't see that happen at a lot of places, but. Adam Leary, like, what are the nuggets for you that keep you going back? What are, uh, why do you, why do you keep doing New Room? I, I, I think for me, it was uh, this immediate understanding that the Wesleyan movement was so much bigger than my corner of it, um, mm-hmm. and that's been true with like World Methodist evangelism and stuff like that too. Um, but that that kept me coming back. That it wasn't just. United Methodists in the room. There, there were Wesleyans and Salvation Army and Anglican and Free Methodist and like the movement was so much bigger um, than that. And in the midst of denominational turmoil, it always felt like a safe place um, to just be present with um, with folks who whose only agenda was to 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 seek the heart of God uh, as we sowed for a great awakening. Um, and I think that was that was particularly true uh, this year. Now that I've exited um, mm. the denomination, um, we can get into this maybe on a future podcast. But it's been really discouraging in these months now as a disaffiliated pastor. We've disaffiliated the independents. Um, the number of people, um, whether back in the UMC or in the GMC, who've said, "Well, Grace Church can't call themselves Wesleyan. You're not Methodist anymore." Mm. Um, so it, it 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 was a homecoming. Like like I, I I'm in the room. This is still my tribe. I'm still wanted here, um, and and actually got to have some great conversations around that with you know um, one of the bishops of the GMC, and we were able to share our hearts together. So it was just, um, yeah, that the movement's so much bigger than whatever corner we find ourselves mm, in. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah, been and, a big. Uh, oh, go ahead. 
sorry, go ahead, Adam. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think that's been a big part of it for me as well. Uh, but in addition to that, it is, for, for me, it has helped me to gain a vision of discipleship in the Wesleyan way that yes. leads to holiness of heart and life. Um, and yeah. true and, and discover true Methodism and how that could look in the 21st century. Um, one of the things that I've really appreciated about the work of uh, Seedbed, which is, of course, the publishing house uh, that is kind of behind the whole thing uh, and, the, and the New Room team, uh, is the resources that they've developed around uh, Methodist discipleship uh Band, small bands, which are small groups of three to five people that meet for the purpose of watching over one another in Christian love and uh, keeping one another accountable, you know, confessing your sins to one another, um, you know, holding holding one another to a standard of the Christian life that helps you to, to grow into uh, full maturity in Christ. Um, and that's huge. Uh, like something that has not happened in Methodism s- practically since it came to the United States. You know, um, the the true Methodist way of being pretty much died within a century of of coming to the states, maybe less. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, um, yeah. You know, it, all those little churches that dot uh, the East Coast, uh, they were all started in a small group. They were all classes. They were all bands. Mm-hmm. They created a structure. They built a building. I, I was confirmed at a church in the 80s with an outhouse because it had no indoor plumbing uh, and, until it did, right, up, up, a, up a crick road. The, uh, that, and that just expanded west. Uh, but yeah, Adam, it's it, 100 years uh, of, of losing our identity uh, as our country is formed and we go to one war or one conflict after another. It 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 erodes our our souls. Mm-hmm. And well, and we have we've said on. Uh, I think you're probably going to say what I'm going to say, Adam. Go ahead. Oh, I don't know if I am. Now, you, so now you're do. like maybe not. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I want to know. We we said in a previous episode that that can can really all be tracked to. Um, cutting the class meeting as a requirement for for membership in the church. Essentially, uh, Methodism was abiding by all of those systems and structures that made us who we were. And then we went, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. And since then, have have watched Methodism erode in America. And Actually, I think it was at the New Room Conference that I, I heard that data for the first time. Yeah, uh, Maybe yes. 2015, 2015 or 16, like that the Methodist movement in America – uh, was growing so strong post Civil War uh, era um, to the point that like one out of every three people was Methodist. I mean, you can check my remembrance on that later. But then the General Conference of the Methodist Church in like 1900 removed the requirement of participation in a class meeting um, as a requirement for membership. Mm-hmm. The movement immediately plateaued. Mm hmm. By the next general conference, four years later at the next general conference, the movement was in decline, mm-hmm. and we've been in decline ever since. <laughs> yep, it, a, it can all be traced concept. back to yeah. We're we're not going to hold up um, the responsibility of maturing as a follower of Jesus. Like, just come and sit down. That's fine. You know, yeah. Be, like, be here on Sunday morning. Like, let's require less, and that right. will help people. And it actually proved quite the opposite, right? That requiring less uh, made people 
participate less, have less passion. Well, it, 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 it made us a spectator sport. Yeah. You know, there, there's a Latin phrase that quips, who watches over the watchman. In, in the Methodist movement, the other watchmen do. We all watch over one another. Mm. Uh, watch watch over one another in love, uh, and we stopped that. We just made it about the pastor preaching, and we're going to be passive participants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it changed; it, it fundamentally changed everything about our movement. So the the New Room Conference is just like a, a yearning to to go back to to, go, to that. Yeah, and a lot of times conferences are trying to give you like the next innovative thing. Uh, other conferences are they're like here's where you know the church should go next. And New Room kind of does the opposite. It's like, hey, we need to return to these things. Uh, in Here's fact, the fundamentals. Yeah. In fact, I don't know that there's anything that they've presented that I didn't already know to be like an essential thing for the life of the church. But they maybe convinced me that I needed to like give it time and attention because they they really are just like class meetings, bands. Um, you know, awakening, sanctification, personal holiness, accountability. Daily prayer, daily devotion, daily, prayer. daily surrender to self. Yeah, those um, aren't new daily concepts. repentance, yeah. They're, they're not giving us something new. They're stirring up within us what what is supposed to be of Methodism to help our, our renew our movement again, right? And, and as you said, Larry, and we won't go down that rabbit hole either, um, it, has, it has been an interesting thing to experience um, this attempt this attempt to renew people through New Room Conference, um, and then in the middle of it, you know, have this denominational crisis. But that, but they've also retained it, right? They've retained this ability to be a bigger family in spite of that denominational drama, and that's that's been occur- encouraging. But well, there's but, always been an, an acknowledgement of it, right? Like yes, like, yeah. Like we're, we're not going to get into the United Methodist denominational friction because our family's bigger than that. But we know you're hurting. Yes. Yeah, that that was always a comforting thing. Yeah. Uh, in that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they didn't deny it, but they didn't <laughs> waste time on it either or let it uh, let it take from us, but didn't well, fixate on it. Yeah, this new this year's new room experience was a new experience in a lot of ways. So, we have typically met for new room in Nashville, Tennessee over the last 10 years, but this year new room made the big move to the big state of Texas. Uh, if I understand, it was on a technicality about the space that we needed to use or would normally use and they were unavailable to host us and new room is not a small group of people. So, new room had to pivot pretty quickly and met at the Woodlands Methodist Church in the Woodlands, Texas. Um, between that and the some things that happened at the Asbury outpouring, the atmosphere at New Room was a little bit different this year, uh, from ways they approached worship to some of the speakers that we had. So from Tammy Ma to ministry nights, uh, what were your New Room takeaways this year? So I, I walked in and immediately they started talking about the Asbury outpouring. And I think my my knee-jerk reaction was that I was worried we were going to make an idol out of what happened mm. at Asbury. Um but I ended up being leaving really hopeful uh, about that because they were they, they acknowledged it's going to be years before we fully understand or I mean we'll never fully understand what God did it at Asbury um, back in February. Um, but it's going to take years to study this um, and gain some understanding. But they were taking initial learnings of what happened amongst a group of college students and applying it. Like there was nothing fancy about what God did it 
at Asbury. You know, there were, there were no lights. There were, you know, uh, not polished speakers or mu- polished music. Um, there was just uh, this atmosphere of community. Uh, we're in this together in Koinonia, uh, this atmosphere of repentance and testimony. And they brought that into New Room. The lights were mm-hmm. up in the house. We su- could see one another's faces. Um, the worship was much less produced um, mm-hmm. than in previous years, as far as, you know, production mm-hmm. value of lights and things like that. Um, so they were taking that immediate learning. And it's one of the things we keep talking about at grace church is we look at Gen Z, uh, they're, they're not attracted. I mean, they don't want to be typecast either, uh, but they're, they're not attracted to the big programmatic, uh, side of worship. They want something that's authentic. Um, and that was, that was one of the things I saw from all of the speakers, uh, to the way worship was done and even what God did in me. Um, so you, you guys will remember there was a chapel down the hall from the main auditorium. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it was, uh, it was very much patterned after a, a, a an Eastern Orthodox chapel. I mean, there were, yeah. there were icons that you could maybe only fit 20 people in there. Uh, and I kept finding myself drawn down there. Like, so you have this huge group of people in the auditorium, whether, you know, there's music happening or speaking or altar ministry. And I kept slipping away down there uh, and, and just being alone. Mm. Um, and I appreciated there was space for that and kind of encouragement of that. Even like we, we build stuff up and we have, we have programs and, uh, as pastors and leaders, we have responsibilities in the church. And what I kept hearing from God through all of the speakers and trips to that prayer chapel was, um, both. And I know you're surprised to hear that from me, (laughs) Uh, but you, you, Larry, you have to be both a servant in my house, but also a child in the house of your father. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and slipping away to that, to that chapel and being alone was just, I'm just in my father's house. I, no mm-hmm. responsibility, no face to put on, um, just in, enjoying in enjoying the presence of my father. And I think that was a huge, um, emphasis through the whole conference was, was just enjoying the goodness and the friendship of God. Mm. So I, that, that was the silver theme through all of it for me. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think to that end, I I really noticed a thwarting of pride that we're all kind of inclined towards, especially in the American church, that you do think of most Christian conferences as being shiny and we're going to lift up our best people who represent our best ministries and really will present ideas and concepts that are not applicable in most contexts that aren't big and shiny right mm-hmm. um and instead of that which i'm and, and that's not typically what new room has been but but i really appreciated this year how there was just that drive towards we need to repent we need mm-hmm. to repent of our pride we need to repent of our of thinking too much of ourselves and we need to seek the heart of christ um, and, and that is where renewal in the church will be found is just passionately seeking after the heart of Christ, um, dropping our pretensions and, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was just really refreshing. So, yeah, yeah like early on in the conference, go ahead, baby. 
um, early on, in the, I don't know if it was JD or a, another, but uh, I think they were talking about the revival a bit or the outpouring a bit there in February, um, and they they talked about kind of the four C's. Um, but before they did that, they, you know, the, Jesus needs fertile soil um, in sons and daughters. There, there, there needs to be fertile soil, and that analogy of throwing seeds, casting seeds, and finding yourself as fertile soil. But the four C's of confession of sin, uh, canceling permission to the enemy um, to, to not be uh, allowed uh, or have permission in life to command uh, all darkness to leave in the name of Jesus, and then to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Uh, and that the place of confession comes with deliverance. Uh, and that is really where that outpouring started at Asbury at the college was students seeking more of the face of God, rending their hearts, submitting to the authority of uh the Lord and, and seeking forgiveness and restoration of relationship. And from that, um, you know, faith grows. The church is born. The church grows. Uh, and the world has changed. And that's that's a lot of, that's how New Room started this year. I'm well, glad you brought been... up those those C's, Gabe. Um, yeah. Because I, I think I would have added another C after listening to Tammy Ma. Um, <laughs> uh, in that, and that's contending. Um, uh, and and I tied that together through several different speakers. And I Mm -hmm. think there's a word in this for church leaders, um, change, turnaround, renewal. It never happens as quickly as we want it to. Mm. Um, and there's a piece of, uh, in in that confession and canceling uh, of contending with the Lord, I'm going to trust you for this. So even to uh, JT, uh, who was talking about uh, civil righteousness uh, mm. with uh, um, he was incredible. With the, yeah, with the you know the racial reckoning that has that has come to America, and really I think um, made people uncomfortable in a really kingdom uh, oriented way. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he was, it, it connected the dot for me back to the contending thing when he was talking about um, the the Afro spirituals. Um, and one of the lines that he sang, uh, was, Oh Lord, if not me one day, let my children be free. Like, and that, Mm -hmm. that contending prayer piece of it may not happen for me, Mm. but let it happen for my children. Um, and that, that travailing piece and contending with the Lord, like one day. And, uh, I, I think as I look at the state of the Western church, um, it may not get there in our lifetimes. But I've also never been more hopeful for the future of uh, of the church as we see some things happening with yeah. Gen Z. And um, so, oh, Lord, if not me, um, so I, I feel like we're, we're, we're partnering with the Lord and building something better for our kids, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for, for their, ge- their mm-hmm. generation, um, and contending with the Lord in that. Like, I mean- I, I'm willing to wait and travail. What an incredible, no wonder New Room is such an incredible gift for us. That And we tend to just like keep drawing back to every year is, you know, it's not smoke and mirrors. It's it's not about, um, you know, power and professionalism and prestige. Uh, what other conference is it just about a heart of confession and repentance? Um, for years, we've been praying that last C at, at New Room, uh, the come Holy Spirit. 
right? Do you remember the year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the year was it Pete Gregg who was like just yep. screaming, like, "Come on, yeah. come on, right? come yeah. on, Holy Spirit, come on, Holy Spirit!" You know that um, there's there's this deep desire for those gathered there to uh, experience more of the Holy Spirit, be more uh, aligned with His will and with His kingdom and with His presence, and um, it just continually ministers to us personally. And does so with this like depth of conviction that is like we we have been getting it wrong, we are getting it wrong, we want it to be better for us and for our children. And there just are not a lot of professional ministry conferences that have that kind of personal heart to it. And uh, for that, I'm really grateful. Uh, you guys alluded to a couple of um, speakers. Uh, if you've heard us throw out the name Tammy Ma, you might be wondering about who that is. Or uh, Larry, I so appreciate you um, mentioning JT. There were a couple of really, um, I think, really epic um, speakers this year that that talked about some significant things. So um, what were your favorites in that regard? Did you have any um, sort of a, a speaker who sort of changed your perspective or um, gave you a particular takeaway. I think for me, one of the things I was going to mention uh, to Larry's point about praying for the next generation, um, a line that that JT shared uh, that stood out to me is sometimes you need a rude awakening to get to a great awakening. Yes. Dude, that was so good. Yeah, that changed the atmosphere in the room when he said that. Oh yeah, because yeah. uh, I think he said any, it. What's his full name uh, for those who are listening? Uh, like, JT um, Tremaine. Want to look him up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I encourage you that, to look him up. Look yeah, him up. T R E M A I N E. I could probably include a link to the Civil Righteousness website uh, in Civil the show Righteousness, yeah. and and all, he's also at Bridgetown Church. Um, so yeah. that's practicing the way. Oh. That's John, John Mark Homer. Yes. Uh, I know. did not make that connection. That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yes. In the that's, in the best way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, that's my jam. It's yeah. my jam. So I think he said mm. that. You know, sometimes you need a, a rude awakening to get to a great awakening in the context of some of the race riots and things that have happened that have kind of shaken us awake uh, in terms of yeah. some of the generational brokenness uh, in our mm-hmm. that exists in, in our country. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what that really spoke to me, at least, is that when we talk about our children experiencing, experiencing an awakening, it may happen through hardship, and through things mm. getting worse in our culture and our mm. country that actually drives yep. us to a place of spiritual desperation. Yep. Mm. And yeah. uh, that's a very real possibility. Uh, but if that is how God has to shake us awake, um, so be it, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, so I, I thought that was really poignant um, when he shared I that. really appreciate the way he did that uh, his message was really twofold, like the same thing on top of each other, which is this like rude awakening personally, right? Uh, and for the church, uh, we may need to be shaken up in order to to really experiencing experience the um, awakening we want. Uh, but he really um, he I, the New Room Conference is very diverse. It, it is also largely white people. Right, a, a lot mm-hmm. of like white middle-aged and uh, you know um, seniors too, and he he brought some race issues I think um, to light for us in a way that was 
that checked us, <laughs> but did so gently and, and with a sense for what it means for other people and, and how we need to be mindful of that for the kingdom. And the way he walked that line uh, so delicately, I mean, at one point he goes, I, Larry, I think you'll probably remember exactly. He said something like, like, I can tell I've made y'all a little uncomfortable. I'm going to, I'm going to pause for a minute. <laughs> I don't remember how he said it, but like he recognized that some of this was really challenging for us just in regards to, to how we've been handling race in the country. And he, he didn't he didn't hold back, but he also was right. careful with us, and it was that was a really beautiful. So I think in so many of these conversations that we have around race and politics, the the church has adopted the uh, the argument styles of the world, and we approach yeah. things so, sociologically instead of theologically. And I, I've been a huge proponent of saying we have to remain winsome in a kingdom mm. way when it comes to these conversations. And he did that so well. Yeah. Like I could, I could sit there as in my privilege as, as, as a white person uh, and be uncomfortable, but not in a way that I felt like there was an attack happening one way or the other. Yeah. I felt like he, he was inviting me into the uncomfortableness of the moment. There was an yeah. invitation to learn and listen um, and the way he tied that all into awakening and, and travailing and contending, I mean, it was, um, it was phenomenal and very winsome. <laughs> I mean, how you pull out a Confederate flag on stage, right? And, Dude. <laughs> and leave all of us still like in awe and wonder of what he said and deeply convicted by it and, and feeling mm. so like lovingly says a lot. Mm. I, I am fairly sure you're able to access the talks from New Room on the Seedbed website. Uh, we'll check that out and maybe put a, a link if we can. Um, they have to be purchased. Would, yes, but yeah. they're there, yeah. But they're there. And uh, if, you, if you have the interest or the ability, I definitely encourage you to check his out. Now, uh, what about Tammy Ma? She was definitely, I think... Uh, incredible for a lot of folks that um, at the conference uh any tammy tammy ma takeaways yeah so yeah she uh, we should say that tammy's a uh, a missionary um in yeah in who's India. tammy ma like, and why and yeah. why is it ma um, yeah <laughs> and started started an orphanage um in uh in india and she's tammy ma uh because she is mother to those children um, approximately what forty five a woman a, a yeah. woman unmarried no 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 natural born yeah, children right. of her own uh, felt God call her to India to be a missionary uh, and uh, has found herself now back in her home country in the U S because she though she navigated uh, the persecution of Christians in the area that she was in in India for years and years and years. Uh, miraculously, um, where there's this purging of Christian leaders, particularly those from out of country, she um, she was the one that that was creating refuge for uh, children uh, without parents uh, because of one thing or another. And she, what nineteen, give or take, that she mentioned that she they, these are her children. They see her as mother. Forty something. Uh, right? Yeah, I thought it was like forty something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, 
and she, a lot of her message, there was, I took a lot of notes on her message, but uh, she, she wrecked me. Um, and in what we're talking about uh, with JT and, and, and connecting that to Tammy Ma is this the idea of desperation. Mm. She finds herself currently in a place of desperation, not of her own choosing, but of what's happening within the world and circumstance uh, of being persecuted uh, for her faith in, in her context, JT re- reminding us of, of the racial tensions and persecutions that continue to exist. And, um, and she said this phrase, none of us have a right to be offended mm-hmm. by, by God. Mm-hmm. And um, she's living in two years now of separation from her family in India, and she's living in deep, deep grief. And I connect to that, uh, living in, in, in my measure of, of, of grief, uh, and you know, we've shared that story, and there's lots of layers to grief as we continue to get older uh, and see the shortness of our lives um, and, uh, and search for meaning. And she, she actually said that we try to assign meaning, we try to assign purpose, and she said this, and Adam, you're going to hate it, <laughs> just submit, stop struggling. <laughs> That's another story, folks. Another story for another time. <laughs> that, that, may be a, that may be a midnight theology inside joke. We we can't can't fully can't reveal. It's not. We might not be able to air that one. No, no. Let's keep the main thing. The main no, thing. No. The main thing is what really, what really, what really sat with me is because I. I I'm trying to become more and more real with myself. I'm trying to know myself. I'm trying to own my grief. I'm trying to own uh, all that is uh, where I've, how I've been created and where I'm being sent and how I'm being used in the life of God's church. Mm-hmm. And for her to stand on a stage and share and uh, her deepest pains mm-hmm. and grief and to say that we don't have a right, because she, she has a pretty amazing prayer life. Uh, she she talks to God, God talks to her, and she she walks right into the lion's den. She walks right into the fire and is unscathed and unbitten and un- not consumed. And she tells the story of her time in India, uh, and and she's hoping, praying to get back there to these children uh, and to the life that uh, that she created for them and with them, and. She's reminding us, as we are uh, in a place, all of us, to some form, fashion, or degree, in a place of struggle. And we might find ourselves entitled enough that we would take our case to the throne of glory and grace and bring our offense. Mm -hmm. And when she said it, it convicted me. And I've been wrestling with that and sitting with that and being healed from that um, in my own heart and yeah. mind. Yeah, the way. No, yeah. So that's, that's something that stuck out. Uh, she, was, uh, she was great. All these successes of prayer, you know, like just, you know, uh, saying something and God coming through on it, but then to share where this didn't go right. Um, yeah. And, and that contending prayer, like she, I, I think what she helped me with um, it's a phrase I use a lot that God can handle your ugly. Um, mm. that she said she was mad and even mm-hmm. mad at God, but there's a difference between anger and being offended. How can I yeah. be offended at a God who is so good and faithful? Mm-hmm. You know, and, but I, I think here we needed to hear all those high points first, all these incredible things that God has done. And then to, to hear where it fell off a cliff, you know, 
and she's still contending still. Um, and <laughs> such great humor through the whole thing. I, I, uh, we should not have had dinner she, right before she, she spoke. I about laughed, laughed it we need, up. We need to say, we need to say, she, she self admits, I am not, a, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a preacher. She, she doesn't see herself as, and like for her to be on that stage was an uncomfortable place for her. Well, but she was asked to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she, and, she did go to seminary. From though. that. She did. She, oh, she did. Yeah, okay. she went to okay. Asbury, but okay. not as a. She didn't study being a pastor, so oh, okay. she felt yeah. fairly uncomfortable. But um, yeah. yeah, speaking to a room full of, of leaders and, and ministries, I, and, like who who yeah, wouldn't sure. be nervous in that room? But yeah, the way she handled like like demand of your father, right? Demand of your father, <laughs> uh, an answer to this to this need. Expect he will provide it. Go right into the throne room. Uh, why are Pray you hesitant? Without doubt. Pray, Pray without, without doubt. ceasing. At the same time, Pray without offense. Do not be offended. Right when when your prayer isn't answered, and she handled the balance or, or of that. Or if the answer because, is no. Or if the answer yes. is no, yeah, yeah. Yes. I I get this. Um, we have a bad tendency in our culture and in the church to do extremes, right? Uh, either he's sort of always going to answer my prayer because he's a good father, or uh, he doesn't move and work in that miraculous way in the way he used to. And she she threaded that needle, like, of course he answers prayer. Like, of course he still heals. Of course he still meets your needs. But but when he doesn't, he is still good, right? Don't mm-hmm. he is still he is still so good. Do not be offended at your at your father. And it was a good follow up to I think it was I can't remember if it was the day of or the day before when Steve Siemens had a um, a teaching segment too about healing. He just wrote a new book um, about healing prayer. Follow the healer. And, yeah, and um, you know he covered a similar thing. Like, does God still heal? Yes. Should, should you believe that he still heals? Absolutely. Does he always? No. Is he still good? Absolutely. Um, and I appreciate that they both they they didn't they didn't stand on that stage as it happens at many conferences and just be like, um, if your faith is enough, right? Uh, then of course he will answer your prayers. They they both handled the the tension of unanswered prayer and unresolved healing and all that sort of stuff in a really in a way that's like theologically sound and addresses the elephant in the room, which is like, but what if I pray for that thing and it doesn't come in? And when it's coming from somebody who is currently experiencing a deep unanswered prayer, uh, then you can you can take it a little bit differently. So, well, yeah, that was one of the best you, parts. We, there was there were no platitudes or like um, theorizing. Yeah, because it was it was just right. her story. Like she just stood up and told yes. her story. Of a quiet life, well lived in humble service to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, no antidotes to try to just make you feel better. And, um, yeah. and you know, we said that in worship this year there was no smoke and mirrors <laughs> and lights because of the uh, being just open and vulnerable and authentic before the like Lord. literally there was no literally. fog machine there was no there was no special the lights were just on but i would also say that's true of the speakers themselves right of what they presented there was no smoke right. and mirrors no platitudes no here's a like band-aid to make it feel better they entered into the tension they let us live the tension they also pointed to the truth of god's power and to his comfort when it doesn't go the way we want. And I really deeply appreciate 
the authenticity that they bring to the table, not just in telling their stories, but like this is authentic faith. Like it is authentic faith that you believe that God can still give you a miracle and he does. It's also authentic that you struggle uh, with him to still believe in his goodness when he doesn't. And I, I deeply appreciated that authenticity, yeah. but. Well, in case we didn't make it clear at the top, New Room is a place for awakening and a community of people running after it, not just another conference for pastors. So uh, you don't need to be a pastor to attend. You just need to be hungry for awakening, I think, and for uh, community, and we can't encourage you enough to go. Um, if you are a pastor or a worship leader, just after the New Room or after the New Year uh, in February, New Room is hosting a special gathering just for pastors pastors and worship leaders. It is interesting watching this development. Essentially, New Room has really grown, and because it's lay people and pastors and worship leaders, I, it, this seems like a step to help address um, some specific needs, right, that pastors and worship leaders bring to the table. And they'll be hosting a special conference just for pas pastors and worship leaders uh, February 27th through 29th of next year uh, in North Carolina, I think. You can go to newroomconference.com to register. And then for everybody else, mark your calendars for September 18th through 20 uh, for next year's New Room Conference. We will definitely be there, and uh, we think you should be there too. So um, don't miss it. It has been uh, Might be Texas, might us. be Tennessee. We don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> It'll be part of the mystery. We'll see uh, and find out. I know we normally end with a fun segment, and um, this may be the strangest Midnight Theology transition yet, but if you know us, if you know the four of us, then you know our hearts have been um, hurting over the last several weeks, over the pain that's uh, unfolding currently um, in Israel, and we want to take a moment to simply pray for them and um, uh, rend our hearts to the Lord uh, for their peace. Larry, would you lead us? Lord, we have been um, heartbroken to see what's unfolding in Palestine and Israel um, with uh, senseless death and attacks from Hamas. Lord, as this war unfolds, we pray that you would hasten the day that we would beat our swords into plowshares and not study war. Yeah. Lord, we pray for dear friends that we have uh, in the Holy Land. We pray for their continued safety. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help to bring about a quick uh, end to uh, this war as we join with uh, the, the words of David who, who prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. May all who live in this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Lord, may you bring peace to this place that is so dear to us and for the people who live there. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for another Midnight Theology. And listen in next month. We don't know what we're talking about yet. It'll be fun we to figure no it out. So make sure to listen in. Until then, hold the people of um, Israel uh, before the Lord in prayer. Uh, contend on their behalf. 
uh, for all who are hurting there and for an end to that uh, pain. Uh, And we'll see you here next month. Bye, y'all. 